Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 14. We have a great episode for you this week. We met up with John Hernandez from Houston Rooming Houses to talk about his investment experience and how he differentiated himself from other investors with a unique investment style that specializes in buying fixer uppers and turning them into rooms for rent that really maximize the cash flow per property, as well as helping revitalize properties and neighborhoods in the Houston area, and at the same time help transforming people's lives by providing a stable housing. He'll get into his target demographics, buying criteria, and what are some of the hurdles and challenges about renting by room. Even though this may not be a strategy for everyone, especially beginners, but if you have the right coach, mentor, or partner, and really focus your energy, this can be a really profitable way to invest. John also talked about what he learned from his masterminds and mentors, and how he has a clear vision to expand his business by 10x in the next five years. I was blown away by his knowledge, and I'm sure you will learn a lot from this episode too. Hope you enjoy my conversation with John Hernandez. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Landlord Association Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much, George. Oh, it's our honor. Um, so, can you just tell our listener a little bit about yourself and what your company does for the people who are not familiar with um, Room for Rent? Okay. Uh, well, my company's name is uh, Houston Rooming Houses, LLC. My name is John Hernandez. And uh, we pretty much uh, serve low-income housing, anyone that makes under $1,000 a month and that needs to live within the inner city, close to the bus line, close to hospitals or other resources that are located within the inner city. And uh, I've been getting a lot of backlash here and there about, you know, rooming houses and they're bad for the neighborhood and stuff. But if you go and look at the the kind of people that we service and the needs that they need, um, you'll see that we're just completely changing these people's lives and giving them a place to stay and stay close to friends and family. And and like I said, resources that they need close to downtown. Yeah, that's great. And, um, And when did you start in the business? Uh, the business, uh, we just started this business in this year, 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got several locations already functioning. Uh, we've had existing businesses that were similar in the past, but this year we just started the Houston Rooming Houses, and we're looking to expand and make it a more nationwide brand. So we've started uh, on Airbnb now, and we're starting with Booking.com, and I'm working with uh, Expedia to get us on as a hostel. Mm-hmm. And that way we can reach a broader uh, audience and serve more people. Okay. Oh, so that's a pretty big expansion, which uh, definitely will get, I mean, from a marketing perspective. We'll... Yeah, well, I, uh, I attended this Grant Cardone business boot camp. And all it is is about 10xing your thinking and 10xing your, your business and just produ- producing more. Mm-hmm. And so that that's pretty much where I got out of the whole boot camp. And so when I got back to Houston, uh, I just 10x'd everything. I just spent all the money I had on advertising, marketing, developing a brand, a website, uh, more on education, more on my training of my employees, and just overall uh, trying to upgrade my properties as well and, and feeling a, a, a void of a professional rooming house or very low income housing that is just it's non-existent pretty much everywhere you go there's nowhere that has like a holiday inn of rooming houses there's just there's no brand there's no 
expectations. Nobody knows what it is. So what I'm doing now is standardizing the practices and the procedures so that way we can expand nationwide and eventually maybe franchise this business model and move on to bigger and better things. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely always start with education and networking with other people who are doing uh, bigger things and kind of just get a totally change your vision of the of the business. Yes. So you mentioned a couple other different um, uh, real estate niches. There, you know, there's senior housing, there's hotels, there's extended stays. Um, how is how is uh, rooming for rent different from somebody who you know want to go to a single family apartment? Why would somebody pick an uh, apartment you know, like weekly rentals versus um, staying at you know hostels or staying at uh, apartments? Well, as far as in the, in the investor standpoint, the reason why I chose this model was because of the cash flow. I wanted to get squeeze as much money as I could out of the square footage of, of the property, because essentially that's what you go off of um, in any market. You're going off of square footage. What does it cost to build? What does it cost to replace? Mm-hmm. And what is it marketed at? So that's the approach that I went. I'm getting about a dollar a square foot per month or per week, I should say. Um, so that's, that's the reason why I went with that approach. The numbers just made more sense to me in that sense. Um, so I would encourage that, like if you're starting out and you want to learn and get as much money as you can out of that first property that you buy, yep. maximize it as far as you possibly could by Airbnb being it, uh, getting creative. And that's, that was the main thing I did. I, I got creative and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to expand uh, my cash flow without having to buy multiple properties. So uh, the first property that I purchased was uh, a property called Hardy Rooming House. I purchased in 2010. Uh, I borrowed the money from my father and uh, we remodeled it and we started cash flowing uh, pretty much within six months after that, six to eight months. And uh, I actually have that on the market right now. Uh, I'm looking to sell it. Uh, for about four ninety five, and uh, I'm hoping to get some some sort of uh, money from that to go and expand into a ten thirty one property and grow that location by at least double the size of what I have now. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of information packed right there. Yeah. So we're gonna go back. So this is your first property, uh, Hardy Rooming House. For four, uh, you bought it. Uh, do you mind sharing how much you bought it for? Or okay, how, how big is the property and where is it located? The property is located at near Northside Houston, twenty one hundred three Hardy Street. Um, it's eighteen uh, bedrooms. Eighteen bedrooms. Eighteen bedrooms. Two bed. Two full baths. Two half baths. And uh, we currently right now have it on the market for four ninety seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's fully leased. Is it? Is it? What's the occupancy rate right now? Right now we have uh, out of the eighteen units, we have fourteen of them full on a month to month lease at uh, five hundred dollars, four to five hundred dollars a month. And then we have per uh, room. Per room. Wow. And then we have uh, four rooms that are set up for Airbnb and Booking.com. So we get travelers that come in, and those are rated between thirty and thirty-five dollars a night. Okay. So how, out of the fourteen, how many do you think are um, more weekly, and how many are kind of the nightly stays? Okay. So the what I've learned from the units that I've had, about seventy percent are going to be on low fixed income. So something like under a thousand bucks or less, because in the city of Houston, you cannot get an apartment or live under a thousand dollars a month uh, unless you live in a rooming house or shack up with somebody and they're 
the garage apartment or something. Mm-hmm. So we um, we offer that service for for most of the tenants there, and it's fixed income. The rest are going to be uh, low paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, labor jobs, uh, garbage man jobs, stuff like that. Yeah, four to five hundred a week is not that cheap though. Uh, four to five hundred a month. Month a month. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. four to five hundred yep. a month. All bills paid. Yeah, all bills paid. So. So I'm just doing quick calculation. If you have 14 units rented, it's about 5,600 a month yes, income. Sir. So that's a little bit above one percent return, right? right exactly. For, for someone who's looking for a cash flow perspective, so yes. that's a pretty good return yes. for an investor who wants to, uh, you know, look at this model, see what the kind of the um, income is. And I guess it is a little bit more. It's all bills paid, um, so it includes water, electricity, um, Wi-Fi, and gas. Okay. Do you, do you provide cable too for for? I no, I do the Wi-Fi, and okay. they can log in with their Netflix account if they need to. Yeah, gotcha. And the individual room had the individual AC, or is this a kind of HVAC, like a centralized air conditioning? A certain properties are certain uh, different ways. So this mm-hmm. particular property that I'm selling right now does have central AC. Oh, okay. So uh, oh, that's so. a big plus. Okay, that's good. Um, but I guess you know, I guess it's one unit, so you can't not individual rooms that can control right their own exactly. Yeah, it's just one one thermostat, yes, sir. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I guess the benefit for the for the tenant is you know you go in there, everything's paid for. You don't have to worry about paying all the sign up all the electricities and and water and the gas. Uh, you just had to share the bathrooms, the common areas, right? The bathrooms, yes, kitchens. Yes. And Typically, a, someone could move in relatively within thirty minutes or an hour of of getting to the property. Okay, and what's the deposit? Uh, the deposit to, would be about twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. and it, we don't really do deposits anymore. We do a move in fee, hmm. so that way it's non refundable whatsoever. It's just it's a fee. It's it's what costs to move into the place. It's yep. what it is. Twenty five dollar move in fee, hundred dollars a week, and a ten dollar background check. So okay. a total of one thirty five they can move in that day. Okay, um, and then do you allow pets? No, service animals, but no pets. Right. Right. Got got conform with HUD uh, rules and uh well not just the HUD but with uh you know we don't want anybody getting hurt and then having to deal with the liability insurance issues and stuff like that for uh, for animals is just it gets a little carried away sometimes right yeah and most of these are not family tenants right I mean you don't you don't have people with you know you're right it's just yeah. individuals and yeah. uh, couples usually yeah. but mostly just individuals yeah and do you run into people with Parking issues or anything like that, or mostly street parking on those kind of bigger properties. Typically, uh, I would say more than uh, more than sixty to eighty percent, or sixty to seventy percent of all the tenants there ride public transportation. Okay, so it's when you're looking for a property, it's good to um, look close to public transportation because if you don't, then you're just relying on someone that has a vehicle and they can get from place to place without any trouble. But I've learned from dealing with these with with this particular customer or clientele, it's a lot easier to deal with someone that already has a routine, their bus routes, and mm-hmm. already is used to the system of riding public transportation. Who knows the city? Who knows the city? Yeah, have so a it's job. It's easy for them to get around. Yep, gotcha. Um, so that's a that's a lot of work right there. I mean, I guess one of the cha- one of the drawbacks is of having that great cash flow is you know what are some of the challenges uh, a lot of the challenges is one uh, I would look at probably like 20 or 30 properties before I buy one and that's, that's no exaggeration so I mean I'll have people sending me deals constantly and I'll you know I'll be the first one there I'll go out there I'll go see it all encouraged and excited 
And that's the main thing I have to stress is making sure that every deal that you look at is just like the first deal. You just go out there and you just you want to buy it with intention to buy it. So I do that with every property I go out and I look to make sure that I'm here to buy. I'm not here to nitpick it on reasons why I can't buy it. Hmm. So I, I look at it in the most 100% positive way as possible. And then I, uh, I have to fit it into my, my cookie cutter. Is it close to public transportation? Is it close to uh, some convenience stores or something where people can go, uh, you know, do the laundry? I don't provide laundry facilities because they, they damage them quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look for a lot of key factors before I can pull the trigger and say yes. So, like, no exaggeration, I'll look at 30 properties and I'll pick one. And my, most of the time I will get it because this is the property I zoned in on. I know exactly what I want. Most investors you talk to and you ask them, well, what property are you looking at purchasing? They have no idea whether they want a 3-2 or, a, a, you know, a 2-1. Or, and then if someone gives them a raw piece of land, they're, they're quick to jump on it. So with me, I don't go hunting for rabbits if I'm going hunting for squirrels. I look at one particular item and I stick with it and I don't variate very much from it at all. Okay. Do you typically look for property with more... Uh, Big, more bedrooms, bigger square foot. Yes. Kind of when you're starting criteria, yes. just like location. Yes, minimum at least 3,000 square feet. It can be a multiple buildings, like a duplex in the front, a fourplex mm-hmm. in the back, or something like that. I've bought in several properties that way, with just a total combined of 3,000 square feet or mm-hmm. more. Okay. So, yeah, more, I mean, like paying for the buck, like you said. Yeah, and then you got to accommodate for ho- like hallways and bathrooms and in kitchen areas and stuff like that so not every house is going to be you know where you can just make rooms it's the the way the house is uh, essentially cut up uh, originally Mm -hmm. and how you would have to mark like go back and and recut it to make the structure sound where it's not you're not taking down low bearing walls and Mm -hmm. and things of that nature and every room has to have a window some people try to put people in rooms without windows and yeah. so that's very unsafe right so there's a lot of factors in doing this this isn't for the amateur uh investor whatsoever this is for someone that's willing to you know sit down and become completely submerged and obsessed with this particular model like i was that that's the main thing that's why there's really i have no competition uh i have no uh no serious threat to my company except for regulation i guess mm-hmm. and even then that's not that's just part of doing business. Yeah. So speaking of regulations, what what does the city of Houston or does any housing uh, have any regulations on? Yeah. So the new uh, codes that they passed, I think last year in 2018 in February, were um, you would have to go and apply for a certificate of occupancy permit as well as apply with the fire marshal or fire department in your local area for a uh, fire marshal um, inspection. And then you also have to apply for a lodging permit of some mm. sort. And so I've done that with the majority of the pro- properties that I have, and I'm in the process of doing it with the rest of them. And it can be a little bit overwhelming, but it's for the overall good of, uh, you know, the people and the tenants and yeah. making sure that we're all in compliance. Yeah. And also raise a barrier of entry, right? I mean, it's right, like course. building a hotel or senior living. You need p- special permits and special things that... Right. You know, it's for a first-time investor. You know, it's not just everybody can get into that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It does. It does uh, put a little cap on, on what it would cost up front to get started and stuff. It has raised that price. So it again, it it, uh, it keeps me in the marketplace at the top, and a lot of new investors are kind of weary to get in because they don't know a lot of the new rules and 
a lot of the restrictions. It is a big money risk. You put up a lot of money and then to find out that, oh, I got to spend more money to become compliant. And, you know, a lot of people just are not in the position to do that. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Um, so speaking of, um, you know, the short-term rentals, the, the Expedias, and do you give them uh, like electronic keys when they, when they go to the website to sign up for a short, short stay or do you still have to give them physical keys? Um, so we just implemented this system probably about like a month and a half ago. So right now we're kind of, you know, still working out all the, the kinks in it. Hmm. So the way I naturally figured it out, I have a, a real estate license. So with me, the way I get into houses is lock boxes. So I put lock boxes on each one of the doors. Mm. And once the person has confirmed and, and lets us know that they are booking, we send them the code and they can just unlock the lock box and get right in the room. And once they finish or leave, they put the key back in. And this isn't like your typical tenant where um, you would expect to get like maybe a squatter or something. That was my first reaction of, oh, I can't do this because what if they only pay for a night and then they, you know, they stay and I have to evict them. Um, I didn't, I, I can't let that kind of get in the way. I have to kind of just work through it. So, so far, mm-hmm. so good. We haven't had any squatters yet. Yeah. So the lockbox system has been working, but I have, I, I eventually want to move to keypad. I just, the yeah. cost of the keypad eventually, you know, it goes up. So no, lockbox is a lot cheaper. Loud. So how many property do you have total now that you're managing? I have about 20 locations total, uh, over 500 units. Oh. That's a lot of doors. Yeah. A lot of doors, yes, sir. A lot of doors, a lot of uh, maintenance, a lot of upkeep. So this isn't, you know, this isn't a, a pretend kind of thing. This isn't like where you can just be halfway in, halfway out. This is full-on submerged. Yeah. You're, you're dealing with everything. Gotcha. Um, let's go back to uh, kind of on the, on the tenant side. I know there's, I mean, I think homelessness is one of the issues that Houston Houston been dealing with, not just Houston, but other cities as yeah. well. And the city has tried to address that with like, you know, VA grants and uh, some of the housing voucher programs. Do you work with government? Do you accept vouchers and things like that, assistance from, from the HUD or other uh, uh, programs? HUD, we haven't been able to work with HUD, but we have uh, worked with Salvation Army a few times with their veterans uh, assistance. Yeah. So we've done that. Um but that's pretty much it. Everyone else that we get um, is usually on Social Security, on disability, or is a low-income job. So I, I would like to partner up with someone in the government or some sort of government assistance program to to go after a specific target that needs to be addressed. You know, there is a lot of uh, homelessness in Houston, and now it's like we have tent cities everywhere you go. You go down 59 downtown, and it's just... It's completely swarmed with tents. It just kind of overwhelms me that someone hasn't or is not willing to, you know, fund some money to, you know, build a facility for a lot of these people. Right. Yeah, I think the city is trying to address that. And, and program and company like yours, yours definitely help in that regard. For people who can't right. you know, get into apartment, they can't get into single-family housings, there is an alternative um, right. way to kind of have a more stable living situation. Right, of course. Yeah, so that's great. Um, so, and you mentioned the number of doors that just, you know, it just makes me dizzy thinking about it. So what does your team look like? Well, it's, uh, I hire a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm real big on family. I want to, you know, encourage my family to, to grow with me and to participate and to learn along the way because buying houses and learning how to buy houses, I feel like is, 
it's essential to life in general. It's like brushing your teeth. You should learn this in, in high school or something. So yeah. I, I hire a lot of my, my family. So it's me. It's uh, my sister. I got a few cousins in there that work with me as far as on the property management side. And right now we're currently, you know, looking for, we're always hiring. So right now we're looking for office managers. We're looking for a social media expert, marketer, someone like that. So we're constantly growing. And right now we are taking our business to the next level to be able to hit, you know, a thousand or two thousand units here very soon within the next five years. So I'm high, I'm, I'm looking for key position hires um, to take me to that level and to be able to handle it. So right now we, we do struggle a little bit. I've noticed like um, hitting like 500 units. We, we did this relatively quickly. Uh, and now we're struggling with maintaining uh, a certain quality of expectation, I guess I would say, quality control. Mm -hmm. So we're working those bugs out right now, but I don't see it being that much of an issue within three to six months or by the end of this year, we'll have that completely squared away and we're looking to continue to buy more and keep growing. Yeah, you definitely need a team to help you at every phase of the game, someone who's in charge of the day-to-day -day stuff, someone in charge of maybe the rehabs or the acquisitions. Right, someone running the business, yeah. in the business, and then someone on the outside of the business growing the business. So Absolutely. I want to be on the growing side. Yeah, so how do, you, how, do you, how do you manage your day right now? I mean, currently you're still in that growing phase, right? right? Are you mostly half your time focused on growing the business or you still find yourself, you know, managing some of the day-to-day -day stuff before you kind of fill out your team. Yeah, so um, for the about 16 through 15 and 17, I was buying pretty much a property a month. And I would choose to either flip it, hold it, or do something with it. So I was really active in growing the business. And then I hit a plateau. Um, and now I'm, I'm, I have so many units now that I'm trying to figure out how to manage them efficiently. So currently right now we run about an 8% vacancy factor uh, with physical and economic vacancies. Uh, and that means physical vacant and actual late. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're, we're running pretty good, I would say. But as overall, when you look at, you know, 500 doors and you got 8%, it, it still kind of irks me that there's money left on the table. So I, just me being, you know, uh, an investor and a landlord, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of other people can relate to that. When there's money left on the table, it's it's... It'll never be picked up again. So I don't like having vacancies and lates. So for me, I feel like maybe selling a few properties and shrinking down from 20 locations to maybe 15 and then rebuilding and hitting, you know, instead of getting 20 units in one location, maybe hitting 50 or 100 units in one location. And that way I won't have to spread so thin and I can concentrate on key locations and grow and run it efficiently. So... My overall goal in the United States would be to have 10,000 rooms. So I think I can easily get there as long as I have the right structure in place. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think having that vision, first of all, is really important to, yes. to know where you want to get to. And yes. So then you can either work backwards or have a timeline to say, hey, this is where I want to get to. And, you know, this is how I'm going to get there and have a plan built out uh, once you have that vision. So, right, of course. And, and, and to follow up your point, I think it's also important for real life investors. Just it's not number of doors, right? It's how how to maximize your cash flow with less doors. I right, mean, right. I'm going through asset allocation right now. So just because I have 500 doors, uh, like I said, I got an eight percent vacancy factor. If I went down to 400 doors and stayed 100 percent full year round, then that would probably be a better investment for me. 
than having this 8% vacancy factor and I'm running around doing this, doing that. So I figure I sell about maybe 100 units or so, minimize my locations. And then with that money that I get out of those 100 units, go out and invest it all in one location. Yeah. So that way I won't have so many. And then repeat the process until I'm down to about five or six locations. Yeah. No, it's definitely, uh, yeah, a lot of the, especially new investors, try to expand too quickly. Um, yes, and that's what I did. I made the same mistake. Yeah. So please take it as advice to do it slow, finish a project at a time. Uh, if you have two or three projects lined up, it, you won't ever finish them all. You got to do one at a time, and that's it. That's the only way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk about one of the a challenging a deal or situation that you kind of uh, ran. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of history there. You can pick anything recent or in the past that you know you can learn a lot from and help you grow um okay well i can i can give one that that just happened recently it was in uh, october november of 2018 i uh, i received a phone call from a friend of mine uh, he's an investor as well and he told me hey i got this friend he's doing what you're doing i said how is that and like, it kind of didn't make sense to me because how will you be doing what i'm doing if i'm not teaching it so i went and met with this guy and uh, he was actually a block over, on the street over, I was on the street called Wayne Street. He was on another street behind me. And uh, he basically met up with my property manager and my property manager told him my entire business plan, basically. And so they worked out a deal where uh, he would put up the building and do it and she would run his property as well as run mine. Well, I don't know what happened or what went on, but that deal didn't work out between them. And uh, I had to let her go because I couldn't trust her anymore. So uh, I realized that not you're going to run into people that are going to constantly be coming at you and trying to take your business plan or, or trying to learn your recipe or something like that. And it, it, it doesn't matter because it's always going to change constantly. I was forced to change my business plan simply because Airbnb came out. It had nothing to do with this guy. Well, then I tried to buy him out. Because I said, well, why not? He did a great job, you know, mimicking my plan. He already did all the, the heavy lifting. He, he had renovated the building, bought the building, and, and started filling them up with tenants and everything. So I said, well, I just buy them out. I have enough money to do it. So I made him an offer, and uh, I was willing to pay uh, about 400000 for the building. Because, I mean, it was already it was already done. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was implement my, my system in it. There was 27 units there. So to me, it was a little bit overpriced, but uh, it was already, it was turnkey. Mm-hmm. So I was going to start making cash flow from the very next month without having to do any repairs or anything. So to me, it was foolproof. So I went to the bank. I used uh, Spirit of Texas for all my purchases. Uh, a guy there named Al Manconi. He's, uh, he's, if he can't get you the money, you're doing something wrong. So that, <laughs> I tell that to everybody. It's, it's the truth, though. And he'll tell you what you're doing wrong to get you the loan. But he... Uh, he got me through it, and it, it was kind of the end of the year, so a few people were dragging their feet. But uh, I needed an extension, and the, the seller didn't want to give me an extension on the loan or on the time to close. So uh, the deal actually fell through. Uh, but I did learn that you know there are people out there that will copy your exact business plan and probably do it better than you are in, in, in the gist of things. But at the end of the day, He's only going to have one location, more or less, maybe two or three at the most, and throughout his lifetime, if he continues with it, five. But I, I'm moving at a such fast pace that if I worry about this guy, how many other deals did I lose? How many other 
uh, tenants am I not, uh, you know, getting or something, customers. So I constantly got to keep changing. And I took a lot of things from his business plan and implemented them in mine. Uh, newer furniture, you know, start, you know, doing more for the tenants. And, uh, and yeah, I think that it was overall a good learning experience for me. Even though I didn't buy that property, I did learn that, okay, I got competition down the street over here. So I ended up buying two other buildings uh, across the street from where I have. And now I'm going to have about 64 units there in that location where he only has 27. Gotcha. So either way, I'm going to drive his market share out. So yep. that, that was the whole thing was market share for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he still owns that property today? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think some at some point, you know, competition uh, kind of almost, always it's not always bad. It can always, you know, at least you know your, your business model works. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to push me to produce at a higher level yeah. than he will because he's, He's, he's copying me, so right. I need to set the standard higher, so it's going to be harder to copy. Right. And like other real estate niches, whether it's multifamily or wholesale, yes, you will have competitions, but you really, it's your work, it's your output that really drives the results. Right, right? exactly. You Nobody know? else uh, is going to do it for you. Yeah, and it's Houston's such a big market, especially in the ni- small niches like senior living or rooming, you know, there will be enough units for you to expand yes. and you get to your goals no matter what. No I mean, matter what. Yeah, yeah so you're working hard. Um, so, you know, competition is just another you know, thing you get to work through. It's not, you know, it doesn't, it won't stop you. Right, it's not failure. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's great. Um, do you mind talking about a recent deal that you've done? Um, you know, you had to get too specific, just uh, um, in general, uh, what kind of property was it? Okay. Uh, well, um, I I typically buy, and lately I've been buying in the Fifth Ward area. It's just the prices there are Houston, downtown Houston, basically, and there's just not downtown Houston prices. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe about uh, about I think it was at the end of seven. No, at the end of sixteen, I was getting married. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. So the property that I bought it was uh it's called Altoona Rooming House. And uh, I purchased the property on a drive. I was just driving around doing the grid. Uh, and the grid is driving block by block and looking for houses for sale. And if you see a sign, write it down and call it. So I saw this one property and um, it just had a for sale by owner sign on it. Called him up and he was a um, he was a tax flipper. He would go buy the properties from the tax sales and then he would just flip them uh, without a title policy, basically. So I bought it uh, without the title policy. And I didn't do a, um, I didn't, I didn't check the dangerous buildings list. I should have, and I didn't. Well, the property was on the dangerous buildings list. So I, uh, what I did, I got creative. I didn't let that stop me. I wasn't going to let them knock my building down that I just purchased. So I put, I put up a, uh, our, our paneling fence all the way around the property and I put a lock on it and then we got to work. We started tearing the building down and, and rebuilding it. And uh, now we got 16 rooms there. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, how long did it take you to? Six months. Six months. Six from start, yeah. start to finish. Okay. And um, I think one of the challenges always for people to estimate the cost. But you have a pretty good idea of the rehab cost now. Is now just... I do, yeah. And also, uh, once you you know, you know do it, first time you're, 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 you're penny pinching everything. You want to make sure that everything goes smooth and you get the deal done. 
after a while, you kind of just, uh, and I don't recommend this, but don't, you have to use a budget. Some people get to the point where I, that's where I got to was like, I don't need a budget. I know it's going to cost and let's just do it. And so the budget is, is real important because it keeps everybody in line and keeps your contractors in line and everybody. So uh, for that particular building, I would say it cost me about 25 grand to buy it. And then the rehab was probably another 75 to 90,000. Yeah. Somewhere around yeah. There. So all in your 100 and 110. Um, and this is cash, no financing whatsoever. Yeah. Gotcha. And then what do you what do you do with it now? Do you look for to get some kind of a, I'm sure the ARV is much higher now. Is your when well, you're right. do you refinance it out and re- recycle that cash or not necessarily? Okay. No, uh, I just keep cash flowing from the property okay. because I learned that debt. If you if you get too much debt on you and you go through a dip in the economy, that you're going to be uh, you're going to be you know barely floating with your nose above the water, and I, I don't like to do that. So my whole portfolio is uh, probably leveraged probably less than twenty percent. So uh, I don't have very much debt whatsoever. Uh, I'm not saying that debt's not the way to go. It's just with certain properties, um, it's better to have debt and better not to. And I think on the rooming houses, it's better not to have debt because you're not worried about, uh, okay, well, so let's say you have five vacancies and your loan officer or your lender is going to require you to have a 90% occupancy. Mm-hmm. It's tech, you're in technical violation of your loan now. So, And sometimes they're going to want to do you know your audits and stuff quite, quite often two or three times a year. Um, on something like that because the turnover, you know, there's there's quite a bit of turnover instead of like, I guess, a regular apartment. There's probably like 50% turnover every eight months or six months or so versus an apartment complex, which is not as high. Hmm. So there, there's a lot of variable factors as far as, you know, when you get into the loan, yeah, you got the money, but now you have to comply with the loan and those things can, it, it can hurt your cash flow. Right. Like again, with the insurance requirements and things like that, they can require you to have flood and and wind and terrorism and all these other things where you're just paying for nothing now. It's a rooming house. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, whether it's you know Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or even local commercial banks, they're always going to have some kind of uh, you know compliance. They require quarterly statements or you know occupancies and like you said, carry out a lot of uh, insurance and those kind of things. Right, especially a lot of liability. That's what they're going to want. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of structure everything in a way where I just have uh, simple fire policies and. And I try to keep my expenses as low as possible because uh, it's all about cash flow. Yep. No, that's great. Um, so you mentioned a couple things in the beginning. So you you kind of doing the drive for dollars thing uh, mm-hmm. where you kind of drive the neighborhoods. I, mean, I, I think that's one of the creative ways for a beginner who doesn't take a lot of capital, right? You're not mailing out thousands of letters. You're not doing a pay-per-click. I mean, one simple way, if you live in the area, you live in Houston, you know, pick an area in the drive-through neighborhood, you never know what you're gonna find. Yes, yes, and uh, I know a lot of people like think that it's just for um, beginners, but I, I still do it to this day. So, uh, and I've I've been in this business for quite a while now, almost 15 years now. So, I I drive all throughout my neighborhood, uh, where I live at, where I have other properties at. I'm constantly on the lookout because if I can buy the property next door, even if I have to pay a little bit of a premium. It's worth it to me because I can. I got one manager and that's managing two properties, so I'm constantly looking on the side, and behind me, in the front, across the street, uh, up and down the block, and that's how you end up buying. I bought a couple blocks of some properties if sometimes, and it, it gets kind of exciting because it's like, wow, I own this whole block, I own these three houses on this block, or 
or you know, I own three houses in this neighborhood. I mean, it gets kind of exciting, but the only way that's going to happen is if you constantly keep an eye on that area and constantly know, okay, this property came up for sale. You got to know what that is. What are, what are they asking for? What is the square footage for price? So that I, I, I like to keep in touch with the Pearland market um, and, and the areas where my properties are in Fifth Ward and, and the areas of that. Yeah. And also, I think it gives you a sense of pride, too. Once you've done a couple of houses, you really know that you put it, And you, you know that you contributed to kind of revitalizing that neighborhood. Yes. And, you know, bring a teardown property back to a living condition. And, you know, where you have neighbors again, where you have people can, you know, look, at, look out for each other again. And that's kind of exactly. slowly, that's how you bring neighborhoods back into Houston, right? Where it's kind of, where, it, you know, normally it's been abandoned. Right, exactly. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So... That's uh, anything else I forgot to mention that you want to mention about Houston Rooming for Rent? Um, well, we have a, a new website that we just uh, started. It's a HoustonRoomingHouses.com. And uh, we have a lot of information on there. And if you are interested in a room or partnering with me, there's an inquiry link there. And you can fill out the inquiry and let us know how we can work together and partner up and do business together. So you're, you, uh, you are looking for past investors? Is that... Um, well, we can figure, we can talk, talk okay. about a structure and figure yeah. out, yeah, I'm always looking for to expand and, and, you know, develop the brand and, and get to a bigger and larger audience. So yes, I, I am interested in passive investors. That's great. Cause I know people who have IRAs, who have capital sales online, sitting in the bank account collecting 1%, 2% and that just, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's just not, it's not smart. Yeah. Uh, Got to make your money work for you. Always, always, <laughs> always. And I see that you have a book here. Uh, when did you write what's the book about and uh, where can people find it okay so the book uh, I wrote about maybe four years ago is called Buyer and Seller Beware and basically it's just real estate questions I wanted a, a hundred page book that I could give to someone like a business card everywhere I go everybody's asking me well what do you do what do you do and you can sit there it's alright at first I sat there and talked to everybody that asked me but I found it a lot easier that just here hand them a book it's easier they won't throw it away like a business card and it kind of gives them uh, something to do. And if they don't follow up, then, oh, well, you gave them the book and that was it. So it's kind of just like a little book that I, I came up with. And it helps you with uh, single family homes, helps you with land, and it helps you with multifamily on what questions to ask when you're going to buy something and then what questions to ask when you're going to sell something. It has a lot, a lot of good information in there. Uh, I wrote it in about uh, six months or so. And um, it's it's available online on Amazon.com. It's a buyer and seller beware. By John Hernandez. By John Hernandez. Great. Well, uh, I'm definitely going to take a look. Thank okay. you very much for that. Thank you, John. Um, all right. So last, this is a fun segment. You ready? All right. I'm ready. Okay. What else do you do for fun besides real estate? You know, you spend a lot of time in the business. What's your, some of their outside interests? Spend time with family? Do you do any sports? Um my wife recently bought me a kayak, so I've been kind of doing the kayak thing lately in our lake. And uh, I like I like to uh, go to a lot of business seminars, so I've been doing that lately, a lot of education. Uh, and I like to, uh, you know, contribute to the to the community and, you know, try to help out as much as I can. So that's, that's usually what I spend my time on. I like, I like cars. I'm a big car guy. Um, and I like I like I like looking at properties. I'm really I'm really big into real estate. It's just it's really a hobby of mine. If I go somewhere like I'm going to Miami in a couple of days, and uh, I go and look at property when I go on vacations or go on business trips because it's just uh, it amazes me to see 
what what other economies are doing. Yeah. Right? What other marketplaces are doing. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, yeah, you can get a sense of, um, you know, not just uh, you know visit your friends, but also you can kind of learn something about the business, how they operate over there, what kind of right. returns they're getting, and right. uh, maybe hey, you never know, maybe a future market expansion opportunity. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, Hurricane Duran didn't do too much damage over there. It's perfect time to buy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna go make some offers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Um, you have a book. What other books have you read recently that kind of piqued your interest that you find was interesting? A book that I've read twice already that I've really enjoyed is the 10x Rule by Grant Cardone. And uh, I'm on the second time reading this one. It's another one by Grant Cardone. It's called uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average. That one is a very, very, uh, it's a very, very interesting book for people that are, are looking to, looking for the extra in life. They want to be super rich or they want, they feel like everybody's telling them, no, don't do this. Your ideas are crazy. And I hear that all the time when I come up with a new idea. Oh, why, how, how are you going to do that? Uh, uh, who do you need to ask permission for? I just get started and figure out the rest on the way. So uh, I like jumping all in and and getting my hands dirty and seeing what, what what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes there's only so much networking and books you can read. You yeah. got to get yeah. your hands dirty. and uh, No one's going to hold your hand. Right. And so you got you got to do it yourself and, and get in there and then, you know, reach out for help every now and then. But yeah. most of the time it's, it's getting in there, getting in the trenches. That's where you're going to learn. Right. And you will make mistakes. No, everybody yeah. makes mistakes, and that's how you're really part of the learning process, right? Like you can't be just make, afraid of making mistakes and not do it, but you got to go in there and make the mistakes and learn from it. And uh, Yeah, exactly. I always look at it, uh, I mean, if it, if it has something to do with money, it's easy. It really is. I mean, it's, it's a money issue. It's not, you're, it's not your health. It's not this. It's not that. It, it's, it's a money thing. So go make some more money, and that's it. It's, all, it's a very simple process. So that that's the thing that I, I like. Uh, I always tell myself every morning: it's just it's easy. Just go make some money, and all your stuff is yeah. what problems. <laughs> yeah, the mindset is so important. Yes, mindset is so important. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite Houston restaurant? Uh, I you like pick I, one. I'm a big pizza guy. I really like uh, Frank's Pizza in downtown. Uh, I, I can eat pizza every day of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being on the road, doing, doing driving for dollars, so that's. I'm a fast food guy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think that's great. I think one thing I love about Houston, just uh, the food scene here yes, is great. It's great. It's really good. Uh, favorite Houston neighborhood? You mentioned a couple. Uh, I like Pearland a lot, uh, simply just because I grew up here and I, I know the area very well. Um, I do like uh, the River Oaks area, Westheimer area. Uh, I don't know who doesn't, you know, the gallery area. But eventually one day, you know, maybe buy some properties out there and... and Hit it big time. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And last question. Uh, favorite Houston attraction? This is a new one. Oh, let's see. I really like the, the, the Reliance Stadium. Uh, I really do. Now that they have a lot of new more restaurants there and uh, Killian's Barbecue's there. and uh, It's just a lot of a lot of things happening. There's yeah. always something to do there. So I really like the Reliant and, and the gallery area. Yeah. Yeah, the car show, the rodeo, yeah, like and the rodeo Texans too. games. It's always... Can't miss. All right. So how do people find out more about you? Uh, well, you can uh, either email me at realtordonwan uh, at AOL.com, or you can uh, go to the Houston Rooming Houses um, website, and that's HoustonRoomingHouses.com. Find the contact information there. Mm-hmm. Great. 
Thank you so much, John, for joining the podcast. Thank you, George. Thanks again to John for joining the podcast and sharing his experience. If you want to learn more about John and his company, please visit roominghouse.net. And as you mentioned, he also has a book called Buyer and Seller Beware, Real Estate Questions You'll Need to Know as a Buyer and a Seller. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. As always, thanks to Ben Sound for providing music. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.